Hey everyone, it's Ethan, and if you're a fan of the Tiny House Lifestyle podcast, then you know I don't usually publish episodes on Thursdays. So welcome to the first ever bonus episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle podcast. I don't usually record interviews one day and then post them on the feed the next day. It usually takes a couple weeks to get everything edited and all the graphics made and the descriptions written, but this conversation just felt really timely, and I decided that I should just get it out to you now. Uh, Members of Tiny House Engage have already had a chance to listen, and I got great feedback there. And to those of you who responded to my email asking, you know, if you'd be interested in hearing this conversation, um... The feedback was overwhelming there. So basically what's happening today is I'm chatting with Vera Strzok. Uh, Vera has been on the podcast a couple of times, and she's in her 70s. She's immunocompromised, and she has been self-isolating in a tiny house for three and a half weeks. And one last thing before we get to the interview. I put out the call last week, and it is still an option if you are living tiny and want to share your experience of social isolating or how you've prepped to be in your tiny house, I would love to hear your story. You can go to thetinyhouse.net slash 19. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 19, where you can actually record a voice message for me. And um, I'd love to collect those stories and, and continue to share them on the show because I think we all get some encouragement and we feel some hope when we hear from people who are, you know, surviving and thriving through this really weird time. All right. Here's that conversation with Vera. To introduce you, I'm 70 years old. I live in an 18 foot tiny house. I'm immunocompromised and um, I have been in isolation now for three and a half weeks. Wow. Wow. So just to, uh, since we're rolling, I'll just introduce you. We're talking with Vera Strzok. Um, I'll give you, I'll, I'll, I'll read your bio. Uh, Vera is an entrepreneur, reclamation artist, author, consultant, educator, speaker, tiny house designer, builder, dweller, and lifelong environmental activist. And uh, she's been a gracious guest on the show before, a co co-panel discussion participant and and many other things right now we're getting her in her tiny house where she is sewing masks <laughs> so you've been in isolation now for how long well first of all i have to tell you i'm not in my tiny house i just moved out of it and i'll explain why and why that's part of one of my tips um I am 70 years of age. I live in an 18-foot tiny house. I have lived in it now for um, six years, and it's off-grid. And I'm immunocompromised, which means for those of us who've had cancer three times, Lyme disease four times, um, and at my age, I'm just a little bit more vulnerable. But as Eric Idle says, looking on the bright side of life, I was one of the few kids in the 1950s who survived the influenza meningitis epidemic. And after being isolated 95 days in a huge hospital room, 
with 50 other kids, of which only three of us survived, and watching kids die to the left and right of me, and only two nurse visits a day for changing your IVs. No toys, no smart devices, no books, no games. I'm pretty sure this isolation thing I can handle. And um, to put it even more, a uh, little bit more in um, context, I think uh, I am someone who lives on less than 10000 a year Social Security income. So some of the questions people would have about living in a tiny house in terms of making income may not apply to them, but since that's my only income and all my other services, I barter. So I barter about 10000 a year sometimes even more in services. For example, my rent, I do babysitting, gardening, all kinds of things. Now, some of those, of course, are going to be pulled back because of my situation, my vulnerability to this particular uh, emergency. Wow. That's, that's scary. But it seems like you're approaching it with, with positivity. Well, I had a lot of training. You got to think about those of us who are this old went through the 1950s parents in suburbs building fallout shelters. So they had all of us kids, of which I was uh, had three siblings. We would trade out gallons of water from the fallout shelter. My uh, specific thing was canned goods, water, and making sure the monthly National Geographic got added to the 10 years on the shelf in the fallout shelter. So we'd have something to read. So um, that plus being an Eagle Girl Scout, I think um, the prepping thing was just natural. In fact, that brings me to, um, I have a, um, five kind of tips for tiny housers that make us a little bit different. Okay. Then all the prep things that we're doing, if you think you want to hear about them. Yeah, I think I definitely want to hear about them. Well, um, a lot of people think it's no different at all. And so are those tiny house people who I've spoken with that say, hey, it's just like everybody else. You do your prepping, you get your meds, you know, you do all this stuff. I, I think it's, it's different, um, especially for my age group. We're already isolated as it is. And that's okay because I'm a loner pretty much. And I do a lot of volunteer work, et cetera. Um, but that has all been curtailed. I can't go out and do any volunteer work. Um, but I think the top things are storage, your mental and physical health. Um, things like everyday things like laundry and stuff like that that you do is different. Um, and there's two other things. Um, planning for leaving your tiny or returning to it. Okay. And, and I'll speak about that. I can go into detail on each of these. And also, um, my big thing as an ex-CPA legal kind of person is to make sure uh, end of life or your liftoff box is prepared. <laughs> wow. So why don't we, maybe we could dive into each one of those a little bit, a little bit more. If you like. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure which one you want me to start with. Um, well... I think the first one you said was was mental and physical health. Yeah, well, that's like, you know, I've got these exercise things. See that? That's really yeah. great for my back. Well, describe, so because most people, won't, most people won't see this. So you're holding up a, a little foam roller. <laughs> I have a foam roller and I have a harder one that 
this gets encased in. Um, okay. They're on Amazon for like 20 bucks. And so it's great to roll on, to use for your yoga, bricks, all that kind of stuff. So the point in a tiny house versus a regular house is some tiny houses are in these very crowded spaces like RV parks, etc. Okay. So keeping your social distancing is a little bit difficult. Right. So you have to reach out and take, get in your car or truck or vehicle and go somewhere to get the space you need to be in nature with your family or be alone. So that's different in a tiny house scenario. Also, those of us who only live in 150 square feet, yeah, it's great to see nature from out here, but I had to expand uh, my outside exercising just because we're in such a small space, right? I mean, you know, I think it makes it more difficult rather than less because, you know, just like cleaning, you've only got so much space you walk in. So if you're going to be inside more, that's another thing. You have to clean more, right? Um, so in terms of mental and physical health, one of the things I was um, really concerned about um, that's different is that I think many of us get a um, an emotional and psychological plus from serving others. So... For instance, you see me in front of my sewing machine. I'm making these mask covers for these N95 masks. Um, I didn't have enough to donate because the big 10-pack package I bought months and months ago for painting um, was opened. So it has to be like a sealed box when you give them to the hospital. Sure. So what I did is I took all the others and, uh, to extend the life on these, I even did a video on it for my family and friends. You make these really cool pleated covers out of a small piece of fabric and you put these on top of the mask and then you wash them. When you come in, you kind of dump them before you wash your hands in the sink and you wash them and they're reusable. It extends your N95 mask from say, 15, 20 usages to 50 to 70. Wow. And that just by preventing droplets of the virus from necessarily getting directly on the N95 mask, hopefully they're getting stopped by the cover first. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like this is 90% what they say, 95%. Right. And so this brings it down. I don't know what percentage, but enough so that they put patterns online for us to make them for medical uh, folks. Now these I'm making for my daughter and I because I've done all my family ones for everybody and delivered them yesterday. Nice. But when I do the medical ones, I put on my gloves to do it. Nice. Um, so in terms of mental and physical health, all the things that you're told regularly, like educational resources, for example, you know, instead of just scheduling when you normally go to a museum like me, I go to a museum every month, so schedule, still do the same thing. Just do it online, you know, and take time out of your day to get up <laughs> from doing all the online stuff. Because, you know, my daughter is a teacher and she and I both realized how much more online time, just like you, that, that all of us are doing. So it's necessary for us to get away. Yeah. And out of out of that kind of digital thing. So in the mental and physical health, let me see. Um, so beyond being of service to others and beyond your exercise and your own meditation, even taking three or four minutes a day, 
Some people do it in the morning, like Ferris and others who suggest you set the tone for your day. Okay. Yeah, I've been really enjoying, there's a free app called Insight Timer that has tens of thousands of, it, well, it's it's first and foremost just a simple meditation timer. You can just set a time and it'll, you know, ring that nice that nice bell at the end of your time. Um, but it also has thousands, I think tens of thousands of guided meditations that people put in there. Um, there's one called Morning Ritual that I really like. That's it's just about ten minutes, and it's just a quick little morning meditation. But, but yeah, I, I agree that the meditation has been really helpful to combat the feeling of being cooped up. Oh yeah, yeah, that's really really important. And I think learning something new, just picking something random, you know, also for your mental and physical health. Try a new different bizarre exercise yeah <laughs> or you know or or just take there's so many free online classes right now like my daughter's a teacher and beyond her using her vacation time to like totally ramp up an online thing for the academy she's also doing these little art prompts for people's kids so they can do different exercises every day nice. so there's so much out there go find it yeah and there's it's there's so much online. I feel like I learn about a new kind of clever or interesting online tool every day now, like karaoke online with your friends, or there are plugins that let you watch Netflix together, but obviously oh, yeah. not together. You know, yeah, all those kinds of things. We've done that. Yeah. yeah. Netflix parties, um, um, you can play all kinds of different games in Google Hangout. There's so many different platforms you can use. Yeah, um, we even use we do cocktail parties. Nice, <laughs> one hour together of drinking and talking with friends. You know, sure. so and so that's just the mental physical part of it. Yeah, right? yeah. And so you mentioned, I think the second one you mentioned was was storage. Oh yeah, so storage is a big deal. I think um, when you interviewed me last time, you talked about water harvesting. Well, during the winter, I don't take showers here. I visit my daughter two days a week, um, which is about seven miles from me, and she has a shower. So during the time where my water might freeze or I can't get as much or I can't drain as much easily, um, I shower up at her place. But during the uh, from April to November, I'm showering in my own place. So in January, when I found out that and from close friends that this could be a thing, regardless of whether our leadership was saying yes or no to it, I started um, storing stuff and prepping because I'm trained in it. So obviously all the typical things everybody gets, I was storing in my shower and I even got sterilized one gallon, two and a half gallon jugs and used my Berkey filter to filter water. So I could still take a shower because all the things are <laughs> covered with their little caps and everything. But but the shower, shower had become a storage place for all the paper products and everything else, right? So storage may be an issue for more people who have larger numbers living in a smaller space. In my case, because I fell last year and fractured my sacrum, I'm all healed and everything, but I moved my bed down so I even have less floor space. So I have to be much more conscious. And um, I do my laundry here at my daughter's too. But I I have the world's smallest uh, washing machine called a Dolphy. And I think probably in the tiny house people I was talking about 
having supported that in Indiegogo. And it's a machine that you plug in that's the size of a mouse and it sends sound waves through my sink. And so it cleans up laundry, but you can't do more than like five pounds of laundry in my, wow. even my big deep sink. But anyway, so that's, that's something for those who don't have. So do you have to put, you have to put soap in there or it's just, just sound waves? No, no, you have to put soap in there. And then after it's done, you'll freak out because at the bottom is the dirt. Wow. It's like film of dirt. And my laundry gets cleaner than it does at my daughter's. Amazing. Um, so let me think. Is there anything else on that score, on storage? So I'm, I'm curious, storage-wise, you know, three and a half weeks is a long time food-wise, and particularly in a tiny house, um, how have you, how did you, how did you strategize and pick what foods you would bring in that could last you that long? Well, it's funny you should ask because um, last fall I planted garlic and I have an already, uh, um, Annually, my strawberries and asparagus come up, so I fertilize those before the ground froze. So those are all in place. In terms of choosing food, okay, um, I'm not a fan of canned food at all. So it was a new thing for me to remember how to do that. So I had to go and get, you know, and be very careful in the grocery store to get like organic soups and stuff with the right date on it, um, that kind of thing. And um, of course, organic. Um, drinks that were in glass bottles that could later be diluted if if there was an issue of rationing. Like in World War II when my parents had to ration for butter and flour and everything. Well, let's hope it doesn't get to that point. Um, but yes, since my the reason I was talking about my bed moving down is I have two lofts, as you know. So those lofts up there can store tons of stuff. So yeah, my toilet paper's up there, my paper towels, all that stuff. I mean, I moved them here two days ago to my daughter's house, but that's another detailed part of my tips. Um, but yeah, the shower was stacked enough so that you could stand in it and shower and not get anything wet, but you know. Um, so in terms of food, what, what I would choose, it was very difficult. I filled up my freezer, but an RV-type fridge doesn't hold very much, right? So I got dried food, dehydrated food, you know, all kinds of nuts, beans, all kinds of things that you can cook later, right? If that makes sense. Pastas, all the, all the stuff everybody else does. It's just you have less storage area to do it in. Right. Um, in terms of water, I did fill my water harvester. I brought it to my daughter's house and we filled it up here in case we lose power, of course, to flush a toilet, correct? Uh, let me think. I don't think there's anything else in that category. If I remember, I'll come back to it. All right. What was our next category? Um, one thing that, of course, someone my age thinks about, and certainly now with the probability of 18% of us dying in our age group that get the COVID, um, it occurred to me that although I've prepared because I'm an ex-CPA person and I've been through cancer enough times, I've always had a will, a living will, and a power of attorney. So if you haven't got your shit in order, I suggest you do. 
That's all. These forums can be found online. You can have uh, a friend. You can you can send them digitally and have a friend witness them and send them back. Um, and make a uh, what I call a liftoff box. In the liftoff box might be a copy of your safe deposit, your three documents I just mentioned. It could be maybe an extra set of keys to your truck, a copy of the deed or registration of your tiny house, auto, RV, you know, important papers so that if, for example, unfortunately there have been people who have been found dead in their homes, um, you would have that box available for a relative or a friend or an official to take care of your business. That's all I'm saying. Um, and end of life, you might want to think, um, and this has to do with people with kids. Um, there are several couples who've gotten COVID and they still have to take care of kids. So when that happens, or if it does, you know, one way of prepping would be to make sure they have important numbers for emergency already in your phone and that just like when they go to school they get trained unfortunately has it for a lockdown you could train them for what if they find mommy and daddy asleep or they can't wake them up so they know who to call i know i know it sounds morbid but yeah no it's real though. but but in a tiny house um you know put it on the fridge at eye level or whatever. I know a lot of people just don't think about that, but um, let me think. What else? Um, okay, so that's for end of life, I think. And um, we just, we talked about mental and physical health, right? Yeah. And we talked about storage. Storage, yeah. There's all kinds of inventive ways, of course, of storing. And one thing that's really funny is I stored a lot of stuff in the back of my truck. So even though I, you know, I'm not living in my tiny, you can still stack up your car. Just sure, throw a blanket sure. over it so nobody's breaking into it for your, not that I've hoarded toilet paper or anything, but you know. Yeah, it might come to that. Hopefully not. So maybe we can talk about, you know, what, what changed and wh why did you decide to, to leave the tiny house at this present that's, time? That's a good point because that's my last tip is you need to make a decision, as all of us do, at some point if a major person is in your house, has COVID, and if it's a tiny house, how are you going to deal with it? And this means whether you have to choose. Belle and I had a long discussion. I wanted to remain independent. You know, she's four years old, but she says, Mom, you know, I... I'm your one and only, and I couldn't bear to have to come find you gone. And you and I both know we've been both been in isolation for three and a half weeks. And because her school ended before spring vacation and private school, it's much earlier. So she's been out for quite a while. And she said, so what, how can I, you know, what if I have to take care of you? I want to be around to help you. I want to be with you. If this is your last three weeks of life, I don't want to do it digitally. So I'll take the chance, you and us together. If it's going to go down, we're going to, you know, I hate to sound morbid, but so I made the decision, but it's the last thing I wanted to do. I wanted to stay independent in my tiny, but I see her point. I get it. And of course, I, I love being around her two kitties. And I love being here to help her so that when she's working every day like she is now, online 
pr uh, preparing classes um, for next week and working with other department heads on, you know, it's a new deal to go digital for a lot of teachers. And, you know, she's, she's training people my age or close to my age on how to make that transition. Yeah. Did I answer your question? <laughs> yeah, no, ab absolutely. So it sounds like, you know, it, it's, you know, in some ways, a tiny house is the perfect place to isolate because it's it's so small and manageable that you can really Correct. control you can control the whole environment. But then again, you're just completely isolated, and you have to make the decision whether to you know whether you want to kind of form a, a larger pod with your loved ones. That's right, and and it, that's not a light decision. And the reason I decided this was to leave my house before it was COVID. <laughs> So it's totally COVID protected and clean so that if I did pass, she would be able to go into it and take care of it and do whatever she needs to with it. Right. And or it could become a place to seclude someone else. Right. Okay. So we thought about all the options and that was our decision. Right. Now that's, that's an interesting one. And that's, that's actually one that, that my wife and I have been wrestling with a little bit because I'm not sure if I've I've told you I've talked about it on the show, but our our tiny house parking situation, yeah, has changed, and we were asked by the landowners essentially to not use the tiny house until we move it. Um, and we have you know we have a small condo that we've traditionally split our time between the tiny house and and here, mm -hmm. and you know now that this is happening you know, the tiny house is essentially sitting there. I mean, all the heat's off and the water's drained, but, you know, it's sitting there untouched. And we've been talking about, you know, if one of us were to get sick, who would go to the tiny house? Would the sick person go or would the healthy person go? And there are, there are kind of arguments on both sides. You know, the sick person could stay here in, in Burlington and be a 10 minute drive from the hospital be, you know, multiple grocery stores right nearby, friends, people to check in on you mm -hmm. if need be. But then again, you know, then you're you're at risk of infecting other people in our building and, you know, and and everyone around and and that the tiny house is actually a much safer place to isolate someone who's sick or to isolate from someone who's sick. So it's just it's a conundrum. And, 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 and part of that issue, Ethan, um, for those of us who've been through other emergencies and epidemics, I look on this as this is one particular virus that, interestingly, we really don't know enough about, so we can't control. So you could be with your, your lovely wife and have a negative test and still leave and, and be carrying it. Right. And so the question is, and Belle and I talked about this, we thought, well, we could both have it right now and not even know. We right. take our temperatures every morning and night and we're okay. We don't exhibit any symptoms, but you know, we have been isolated for three and a half weeks. So the question is, and I'm sure everybody goes through this as you did, is like, what's the point of isolating? Okay. Because it, I agree. I'm close to my hospital. Right. Sure. And all the doctors I know, because I lived up here for a long time. Um, now I'm about seven miles away and there are no doctors or support friends there. So, you know, it's a tough decision to make. 
Right. And and also just when you're sick, you want to be taken care of. You know, this isn't a big place. Like we should, you know, there's a one bathroom that you wouldn't be able to isolate bathrooms. And it's just like one bedroom. And it's kind of like if one person gets it, it's probably likely that the other person has it anyway. <laughs> and it's like, wouldn't you want to just be together and just support each other while you're have two weeks of of fever and bad cough and hopefully not anything worse, but potentially worse. Yeah, these are all these are all tough questions everybody's facing. And um, my daughter had H1N1 a while ago, and and so I had to because I'm used to this being with people who are um, quite quite ill and have been through all kinds of training. Um, you know, you're sterilizing the sheets and everything that sit over the chair they're on. You will, uh, you regulate their movement. You get everything for them, you know, and um, there's certain bathroom procedures. There's all this kind of stuff you can look up that allows you and your wife to be in that. You don't have to sleep in the bedroom. You can sleep in the couch, you know, that kind of sure, stuff. Sure. Simple, simple things. Um. Let me think if there's anything else I've missed. Yeah, I feel like you've you've given us a lot of lot to think about, a lot of tips. Any any final thoughts or or things that you you know that you you know the the listeners of this show you know are people who are living in tiny houses, but but even more are people who are are planning or kind of dreaming of a tiny house. Um, you know, do you have any thoughts for for that? that cohort who aren't necessarily here yet, but are, are thinking about it. Well, Ethan, you know me, I'm like Eric Idle. I think on the bright side of life, but I have a very, very practical and serious underpinning. So what I would say to all of them is tiny houses are very good for everything. So you can build them, and you could hold on to them, and they could have second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth lives, okay? Mine is even built with screws so you can take apart and burn it. If the, if the shit hits the fan and the zombies are coming, <laughs> you can take it apart and burn it. No, the point is they can, they can be and have several lives, right? You can live in them. You can live in them while you're building your other tiny on land. You can have them as a mother-in-law apartment, a studio, a writing place, you know, there's just so many uses for them that I I could see my daughter hanging on to this. If I lift it off into another existence, she could use it for a number of things, you know, and I, I think tinies have so much capabilities. You know, you could take it on the road and be a food service place. I mean, it's just what's not to love about tiny houses on wheels? Right. Well, I think that's a great place to to kind of leave it, Vera Struck, thank you so much uh, for your time and for letting us distract you from your your sewing project. Yeah, Projects. I got to get back to these, you know. Yeah, exactly. Well, um, I, don't know, I don't know if anybody's, anybody's going to even see the visuals, but I'm sitting at a 110-year-old Singer sewing machine that I personally have owned since I was 19. So it's you. It's a beautiful sewing machine. I was admiring it, and I will definitely do a screen capture from this for for the show. Okay, great. Yeah. Thanks so much, Ethan. I hope I've been helpful. All right, that is it for this no frills bonus episode. You can find a photo of Vera at her hundred ten year old Singer sewing machine 
uh, some of the links of the things that we talked about in the episode, like the Dolphy uh, in-sync laundry system. And even Vera was kind enough to share the video of her demonstrating how to use the homemade cotton N95 mask covers, which it's actually it was actually quite informative. So we're going to share that as well. You can find those all on the show notes page at thetinyhouse.net slash Vera. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash V-E-R-A. And one more reminder, if you have a story to share, head over to thetinyhouse.net slash 19. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 19, where you can record a voicemail for the show. And I'd love to share your stories of, of tiny living through this crazy COVID-19 global pandemic. Also, don't forget to check your feed tomorrow because there is a great new episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle podcast coming out. Um, the standard, I guess you could call it the standard episode, which comes out every Friday. So definitely do check that episode out tomorrow as well. I've been your host, Ethan Waldman. Thank you again to Vera Strzok, and I will talk to you tomorrow.